to worship. And then God, hear our voices and what we think about Him. There are many voices telling me what to think about God. I want to think about His prophets. I want to think about what He said about what's happening on the earth. When you want to hear what you think about it, I want you to agree with it. And so, Father, in this house, we declare we bring us your word. We bring it as a plan that you've ever said or spoken over our lives, over this church, over this country, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you are the one that speaks to us, and we're the ones that are to listen to you.
way under budget, praise the Lord. You know, God's making us rich and we have no regrets. Amen? And we have more than enough uh, to cover that and uh, we serve a good God. And I wanted to read you a portion of scripture from Judges chapter 13. And uh, verses uh, 15 to 25. And this is the story of Samson's parents. And uh, God had spoken to Samson's mom first. Her husband wasn't there. And uh, told her of this great thing that was going to happen. She was going to give birth to a son. And so she told her husband that he wanted to hear the message too. And so he got to hear it. And this is when uh, he uh, is there in the conversation. Verse 15. Judges 13, 15. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you, and let us prepare a young goat. Everybody say prepare. prepare. So the Lord had just given them a wonderful message the second time. Amen. How many know that God's a patient God? Amen. And uh, he works with us, doesn't he? he? He comes to where we are and he lifts us up. And uh, so... Uh, just receiving a message would be awesome, but Manoah wanted to do something for God. And he said, I want to detain you. I know that you're busy running the universe. Amen? And uh, so he, he went to prepare an offering. Okay? And uh, the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering... Offer it to the Lord. Everybody say, offer it to the Lord. Every offering that you give is for the Lord. Amen? We give it in institutions like this, but it's for the Lord. Amen? And uh, for Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. He did not know that this was Jesus uh, before he was Jesus. Okay? And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, what is your name? Uh, so that when your words come true, notice he expected his words to come true. Amen. We may honor you. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing that it is wonderful? That's why this is the Lord Jesus. Because he is wonderful counselor. Right? So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock which was the altar at that particular moment. For the Lord, and he performed miracles while Manoah and his wife looked on. Our God is a performer of miracles. For when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the altar flame. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces and Did you know that our God travels by fire? Amen? And the angel of the Lord did not appear again to uh, Manoah or his wife. Then Manoah knew that this was the angel of the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, we will certainly die uh, because we have seen God. But his sensible wife, I'm reading from the Empire, his sensible wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have received the burnt offering and grain offering from our hands. Nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have announced such things as these at this time. 
Thank God for sensible wives. <laughs> and the husbands that listen to them. So the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the boy grew and the Lord blessed him. Say the Lord blessed him. Do you think it had anything to do with the offering that they gave? Absolutely. It's all connected. Amen? And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him at times in Manan, between Zorah, and we know that Samson went on to deliver Israel from the Philistines. So, amen, in, in what you have prepared today, whether you bring it, whether you send it, whether you go on our website and do it that way, whether you do it through our bookstore, amen, uh, God will receive it and He will bless it and it will benefit you greatly. So Father, we just give you thanks and praise for every gift and giver, Lord, that uh, you have sent to BCF. And Lord, we just thank you for their gifts. They're unto you, Father, for your kingdom, for your glory. And we thank you, Lord, that your blessing is upon every gift. And all the givers, Lord, cause them to prosper, abound, increase mightily in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 And uh, this Wednesday... There will be no Wednesday night refreshing since it's right before Thanksgiving. Amen. You guys got a lot to be thankful for. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, you can read the Bible, and if, if you run out of things to be thankful for, just read the Word. Yeah. And you'll find a whole list of many things. Amen. All right, we got some awesome kids in this place. Kids life. Living in faith every day. Come on, kids. I remember when uh, we, uh, Phil and I, before we were married, we were living uh, in Tennessee and we were serving in the church that we were attending and we were leading the three to five year olds. And uh, that was fun because I would just reenact the Bible story with them. I'd give them parts and I'd play parts and uh, it was a lot of fun to bring the Bible. Card. We did that for Six months, and it was wonderful and glorious. Amen. Well, are you ready for the Word this morning? Say, I love the Word. Say, it speaks to me. It gives me words that I can live by, that I can do. It will not fail me. It lights my path. And it leads me in the way that I should go. Amen. That's exactly what the Word is. The Word is Jesus, and Jesus is the Word. So, uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about our righteousness that comes through Christ. And it's really kind of a battle between two righteousness. Self-righteousness. And God's righteousness. And there is a distinct difference between the two. And we're going to see the difference between these two types of righteousnesses. But there is a righteousness that comes through Christ. It can only come to us one way. It can't come to us any other way. 
And see, a lot of people today, they don't value or appreciate God's gift of righteousness. Because after receiving it, they cease to live by it. Do you know when God made you righteous, He wants you to be righteous until He comes and then some. Amen? Righteousness is a marathon, not a sprint. It empowers us to live godly in this world. And a lot of people replace God's standards with their own standards. And they evaluate their spirituality according to their own efforts. Amen? Maybe you know some people like that. But God gave us His very best, Jesus. Did you know that God was the original hallmark? He cared enough to send His very best. And He is the only means whereby we can become righteous. The God kind of righteousness. If your new life began with Him, then it should continue with Him. Right? If you begin, you know what? Uh, Mark Hankins like to say, you gotta, you got to dance with the one who brung you. Right? If Jesus brought you to God, you've got to live for Jesus for the rest of your life. We have to live our life by faith in the Son of God. Let's go to the book of Galatians to begin with. We're going to begin in Galatians 2, and then we're going to go to Philippians 3. And Philippians 3 has the keys that we can live for God. Galatians chapter 2, starting with verse 16. Galatians 2, 16. Paul's writing here by the Holy Ghost. And he said, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. In other words, you can't earn your way to be right with God. There's nothing that we can do other than to trust in Jesus who did it for us. No man is justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You did it doesn't matter how good you are at obeying the law that Moses gave us, you'll never attain righteousness by doing that. Because righteousness is a gift by God, and we can only, besides, there's not one person on this planet that could do every part of the law. It was designed that way. All we can do is put our trust in Jesus who did all the law. He did not sin. And because He didn't sin, we get to win. All we have to do is trust in Him. Didn't mean to rap, but it just comes out every once in a while. Verse 17. 
But, if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found, uh, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, it is therefore Christ, is therefore Christ a minister of sin? Um, you know, if we're, if we're trusting God, does that mean we're never going to mess up? No. And, and Christ is not the minister of sin, he is the minister of righteousness. He delivered us from sin. Jesus never went around promoting sin. He came to destroy sin. Jesus said, I did not come to condemn world, but to save the world. Amen? He, he took our sin away. He didn't say, here's your sin, go ahead and do it. Verse 18, For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. There's always a temptation to go back into the mess that God brought you out of. It's human nature. Right? Human nature has this tendency. The flesh, the eyes, and the pride of life. And if you're, if you're living for Christ, and you go back into the life that God delivered you out of, you are now a transgressor. Transgressor of the law. Okay? But notice what he said, verse 19. For I, through the law, am dead to the law. Can you say, I'm dead to the law? Dead to the law. That I might live to God. See, we died to the law so that we can live for God. You, you need to live for God. You, you've got to live. Christ has to be the center of your life. The highest priority of your life. Your life has to evolve around Christ. Not Christ puts into your life wherever he can. Verse 20. You know, Paul, Paul knew this. If there was anybody who could have tried to obey the law, it was Paul. He was well schooled in the law. I mean, he was the Pharisee of Pharisees. If there was anybody that could have came close to obeying the law, it was Paul. Right? But how many know... He found out that the life that he was living was wrong. He had an encounter with Jesus. And all that Paul was doing up to that point was in vain. It was wrong. It wasn't going to bring eternal life. But thank God for Jesus, right? Because the rest of Paul's life, he lived for Christ. He, he, he surrounded his life around Christ, and he did what Christ wanted him to do, and it was a great success. Verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And that's a miracle. I'm crucified, but I live. Just like Jesus. What do we crucify? We crucify the flesh. We say no to the fleshly desires and yes to the spiritual desires. You know, crucifying the flesh is denying it what it wants. Amen? This Thanksgiving dinner, your flesh is going to say, give me more. Give me more. Right? And you've got a decision to make. You can either say yes or no. If you say yes, you might regret it. If you say no, you can always have some later. Amen? 
I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But notice, Christ lives in me. Something happened when Paul accepted Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. He moved into Paul's life, and now Paul's life was living out of the Christ inside of him. You know, when Christ is inside you, your attitude changes. When Christ is inside of you, the way you treat people change. When Christ is inside of you, your whole life changes. The way you talk changes. The way you walk changes. Amen? The way you worship changes. You now have an intimate relationship with God through Jesus. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, God made us righteous because Christ gave himself for us. It's a gift. And God did not give you this gift and you receive it not to live for him. Amen? Not to do what he wants us to do. Alright, verse 21. I do not frustrate the grace of God. How would you frustrate the grace of God? By not living for Christ when Christ is in you. Did you know that that's how you frustrate? Let me say frustrate. Who wants to frustrate the grace of God? Does anybody love to be frustrated? Did did you wake up today and say, oh, I'm going to be frustrated today? No one likes when you're frustrated. You're irritable. You're grouchy. Amen? Come on. But yet, we could frustrate the grace of God when we try to live according to our own standards and not God's standards. I do not frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If we could follow the law, Christ would have had to do what he did. If we could just all obey the law, Christ would have never had to come. But how do we know? He had to come. Why? Because there's no person that could obey all the law. Okay? Now let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Oh, this is good. This is rich. Amen? The subject is not new, but the way that it will come out is new. William uh, Seeker said this, Many have passed the rocks of gross sins who have suffered shipwreck upon the sands of self-righteousness. Philippians chapter 3 says something very interesting. And uh, in verse 3, Philippians 3, 3, it says, For we have the circumcision. He's talking about Jews or he's talking about believers. You know, when a believer comes to Christ, they have a circumcision of the heart. They have a heart change or a heart transplant. Old heart is gone, new heart in. Right? We are the circum we are 
the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Everybody say, no confidence in the flesh. If we're putting our confidence in our flesh, that's our own efforts, our own ability, our own strength, and it's insufficient. Amen? Amen. Say, I have have. no confidence confidence. in the flesh. flesh. That's why God gave us the Holy Spirit. To help us. And then in verse 7, it says this, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. You know, there's a lot of things that we could gain in the flesh. But Paul, he had a lot of skill. He had a lot of knowledge. He had a lot of expertise. He was trained by the best. But you know what? That could not compare to what Christ had done for him and given to him. Amen? Nothing we can achieve in this earthly world will compare what Christ can give us. Amen? There's no comparison. So, don't put, listen, this earth is passing away. Right? So don't put too much faith in this earthly realm or this natural realm. Right? Don't let it get you so upset. Right. Now, you should be upset for when it violates righteous cause. But don't be, you know, the Bible says, as a good soldier, don't get entangled in the affairs of this life. Right? Verse 9 and 10 is our key. This is where the battle is. And Paul said, and be found in him. Not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformable to his death. Alright? So here we go. Are you ready? Yes. Number one, we've got to be found in Him. Did you know that before Christ, you were lost? And when you met Christ, you were found. Amen? I'm so glad I was found. One of my, uh, the churches that I attended when I was a young Christian under Pastor Kevin, and he started a ministry to reach out to the lost. He called it Lost and Found Ministry. And he shared the vision with the people. He wanted two Greyhound buses that he could convert the seats into bunks, and we would go from LaSalle, Illinois, to the heart of the most wicked places of the big cities of this nation. And they went to Miami, Tulsa, Atlanta, Fort Worth, New York City, all kinds of places from a small town. And and in that night, when he shared that vision, they took up the offering, $40,000 came in one night. 
And he bought those two buses. And he converted the seats because, you know, sometimes the cities are 10, 15, 20 hours away. So, they would be seats during the day, but then you'd, you'd, you'd shift them and they'd be bunks at night. And we would go into the inner cities and we would set up music and we would cover a two or three block radius. I mean, I went to Atlanta, Georgia. It was one of the trips I went on. And we went to an area called Techwood. Techwood was the worst housing development in the city of Atlanta. I saw, I heard sirens. I had people run past me without their shirts on. You hear gunshots and police everywhere making all kinds of arrests. It was pretty bad. But how many know when God sends you, He protects you? We, we would see, we would have a rally during the day and we would minister at night in the streets. And we would just share the gospel as people came out to hear the music. We would just go and two by two and just share the gospel. What a glorious and wonderful time. But you've got to be found in Him. Everybody say in Him. Amen. Notice you're not found in you. Oh, I'm, I'm going to go to the mountains and find myself. If you're not looking for God, you're going to come away empty handed. The only way you're going to find yourself is if you find God. Or if He finds you. This word means, I find, I learn, I discover, especially after searching. What does the Bible say? Seek Him and what? He will be found. You will find Him. Right? You are in Him at the new birth, but will you be found in Him when He returns to earth? Isn't there a scripture, I think it's in Luke 18, that says, When the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Do you realize that once you find the Lord, you've got to stick with Him? He's not a flash in the pan. He's good for a lifetime. Amen. You are found in Him when you invite Him into your heart. You know, he, he comes by invitation, not force. I mean, really, if God wanted to, He could make everybody get saved and we'd all be in heaven right now. Amen? Wouldn't have to remodel the stage or anything. We'd be in the greatest stage ever. But he doesn't force anybody to be saved, nor does he force people to do what he says. He simply says what he says, and he leaves it up to us, right? Adam, if you eat of this tree, you're going to die. He said it plainly, didn't he? You can have all these other trees, have at it, but you eat of this one, you're going to die. And the devil comes along, you're not going to die. Slap that snake. Not just slap him, cut his head off. See, when, you, when you're found in him, you recover your losses. Oh, someone say praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. Do you realize, whatever you gave up for Christ, you're going to get far much more in return when you stick with him? See, being found in Him, it's more than just professing or confessing Christ. 
It's to be in union with Him, and it's to participate with His will and His plan. Everybody say participate. participate. See, when you know who He is, you'll know who you are. Why? He made you, He created you, and when you get to know Him, your true self emerges. One guy who loved animals, he built this big pond. And when he got fish, he looked at the fish that were just flopping around. He said, boy, they're dumb. They can't do anything. But you put them in their element, you put them in their proper place, their brilliance comes about. Amen? Our proper place is in Christ. We need to be found in Him. This is how we're going to win the war over self-righteousness. I'm going to get to self-righteousness here in a minute. You cannot truly know who you are apart, apart from knowing Him. Who do you abide in? Just, just, just think about these questions. Who do you abide in? Jesus said, abide in me and let my words abide in you and you can ask whatever you want. Everybody say, abide. That means hang out, live in, dwell in. Who really rules your life? I got to say this. When it comes to doing God's things, when someone stops doing God's things, I guarantee you they've never prayed about it. They've never sought God about it because they're being ruled by natural things. Right? It's just something that I've observed over years. Who do you live for? Who do you desire to please? Be found in Him. Be found in Him. You've got to be united with Him with a living faith. Say, my faith is alive. My faith is alive. You know, He said the Word of God is alive. It's powerful. Our faith is alive. Amen? What oxygen is to the scuba diver, faith is to the Christian. What a spacesuit is to the astronaut, faith is to the Christian. In other words, you need faith. Amen? You can't live the Christian life apart from faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. You've got to be united to Him. This is what being found in Him means. You've got to live spiritually in Him. He's got to be the main element of your life. The main element of your family structure. The main element of your marriage. The main element of your career. Christ was designed for every avenue and every area of life. He wants to be included in every area. That's what it means to be found in Him. To be found in Him means every decision you make, you run it by Him. Now, He doesn't care. You don't have to pray, oh Lord, what am I going to eat for breakfast tomorrow? Listen, come on. He, 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 just, he lets you choose what you want to eat unless He tells you to fast. That's a different story. But what I'm saying is some people take it to the extreme. 
Oh Lord, you stand before the closet and say, Oh Lord, I come to you in the name of Jesus. What should I wear today, Lord? You, listen, he leaves that choice up to you. Right? But I'm talking about some decisions that affect your life, that affect your family, affect your heritage. You've got to be making them in conjunction with God, not apart from God. If they're apart from God, they're self-righteous. Well, look at that, honey. We came to church today, and look at what we're getting. Did you know that God records your choices, words, and life in a book? Did you know that God listens to your conversation? When, when the people complained in Israel, God heard their conversations, and he told Moses, why, why are they complaining about me? I wasn't talking about you. Yes, you were. If you read the book of Malachi, and if you're sitting at the table, and you're talking about Christian things, God's recording that conversation. Did you know that in the end, we're going to be judged for every idle word that we spoke? How does he know? Because God's big God is watching. <laughs> Not big brother, big God. God records your, your conversations, your choices in your life. After all, he is writing a book about you. And since you're still living, the book is still being written. Amen? You determine whether or not the book gets finished by how you live your life. You've got to live for Christ. You've got to live according to His Word, according to His way. His standards. Let me say His standards. Yeah. Not my standards. Do you think that if a college football player just decided to play the game that they wanted to play, to disregard every call of the coach and just do what they wanted to do. Do you think they'd be in the game for long? They would not. If they go against the coach and do their own thing, they're going to be taken out of the game. Because you don't want to do that. Because the coach is the coach and the player is the player. Amen? So, when you're found in Him, God wants to preserve your blamelessness. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. Part of being found in Him is you preserve your blamelessness. Blamelessness is the devil can't pin a sin on you. Because when you're, when you're covered in the blood of Jesus, you're staying free. Amen? When you're covered in the blood of Jesus, sin can't stick to you. Unless you choose to let it stick to you. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things... Be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. Everybody say, God wants to be blameless. God wants to be blameless. In other words, he wants you to live above reproach. 
He wants you to live in such a way that when the world accuses you of something, their accusations have no merit. They don't stand. They don't stick. Amen? You're like a wall and a rubber ball. When you throw that rubber ball against the wall, it's going to bounce away. Amen? Every accusation that the enemy can hurl against you will bounce away when you live blameless. New Testament. God said, be holy for what? I am holy. Did you know God wants you to live holy? That's not with a W. That's with an H. Be holy like I'm holy. So that tells me the only standard that he wants us to live by is his standard. Right? Okay? See, when you're found in him, you preserve your blamelessness or your innocence. Say that fast ten times. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm having a good time today. I better get moving. Hallelujah. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved what? Blameless how long? Unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calls you who also will do it. Aren't you glad God doesn't expect you to be blameless in your own strength, in your own way, according to your own standard? He's going to help you. He's going to work in you. He's going to work through you. We're blameless according to his standards, not ours. According to his strength, not ours. The Bible said, he is faithful that called you and he'll do it. Say, he'll do it. How often will he do it? He'll do it again. He'll do it again. He'll do it again. Amen? He'll do it as long as he needs to do it. To be found in him means you're living spiritually in him. Oh, I already said that. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 4. See, when you're in Him, your blamelessness is preserved. You become like a cherry jam. You're a preservative. Do you know that you can make a cherry jam and it can last for months and months? Right? Am I right about it? I've never made a jam, but I've enjoyed a lot of jams. Right? But they're called preserves. And they're meant to last for a long time. When God preserves your blamelessness, it's meant to last for a long time. He doesn't want your innocence to wear out. You can be holy from now until Jesus comes. You can be holy... Now until Jesus comes. It's your choice. But it's where you're found. It's where you're founded. It's where your foundation is. If your foundation is in the flesh of the world, you're not going to last. But if your foundation is in Christ, you will last. Amen? First Corinthians chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 1 verse 4. 
I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given to you by Jesus Christ that in everything you are enriched by Him. How many have been enriched by Him? You're, notice, He enriches you in everything. He makes you look good. He enriches your life. He enriches your finances. He enriches your family. He enriches your fellowship. He enriches everything. He makes you a better worker than you were without Christ. Amen? That's good news. In all utterance, He enriches your speech. And in all knowledge, He enriches your knowledge. Verse 6, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. How many have that testimony confirmed in Him? I know whose I am. Amen? I know in whom I believe. Verse 7, so that you come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that you may be what? Blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus What's the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? That's the day He returns. When is that day? I don't know. You just better be ready for it when it comes. And the only way to be ready for it is to be found in Him so that you can maintain your blamelessness. Talking about living a lot of Christian life. Doing Christian things. A force gump. A Christian is as Christian does. <laughs> Mama said, life is like a box of chocolates. Did you know that in Genesis 15, Abraham was command, commanded to be blameless? God said, be blameless and walk before me. Everybody said, be blameless. Be blameless. It wasn't a suggestion. This is what God expects of his believers. And this eliminates any reason why we should trust in the flesh, which is what I'm getting to. Amen? So God wants you blameless. When you're blameless, your righteousness will direct your way. When you're blameless, God delights in your way. God, God loves blamelessness. Alright? Righteousness guards him whose way is blameless. Okay? Philippians chapter 2. Go to Philippians once again. We're camping out in Camp Philippians today. Flip to Philippians. Notice chapter 2, verse 14. Philippians 2.14 Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Everybody say, how many things? Do all things without. (laughs) That kind of eliminates complaining, doesn't it? And that's New Testament. Okay? Verse 15, that you may be what? Did you know to preserve your blamelessness, you can't complain, or otherwise it distorts your blamelessness. Complaining and murmuring distort your blamelessness. That you may be blameless and harmless. I'm just a lovable, harmless son of God. 
without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That's powerful. Alright? So, we have to be found in the end and we have to preserve our brother. Number two. Two. We have to not have our own righteousness. Philippians 3, 9. Be found in him not having my own righteousness. Okay? None of us are qualified to establish the standards of righteousness. Okay? So we have to... Jesus is the only righteousness expert there is along with the Holy Ghost and God the Father. Jesus is an expert on righteousness. Not only did he design it, not only did he write about it, but he lived it. Amen? So, my own righteousness, that is self-righteousness. That is based on the works of the law. You doing the law on your own effort, and you set up your own standard, and you become self-righteous, which is not acceptable to God. You cannot live the Christian life based on your own standards. Uh, let me see. Someday, I'm just going to take a poll. See which way the wind is blowing. Thomas Adams said this, Self-righteousness is the devil's masterpiece to make us think well of ourselves. Did you know that there is no pecking order to sin? Whether someone is a glutton or someone is an adulterer, it's still you're feeding the flesh. And guess what? They're in the same category. And one is not higher than the other. Someone say amen. 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 Alright? Watchman Nee said this. Most soulish believers assume an attitude of self-righteousness. Though often it is scarcely detectable. They hold tenaciously to their minute opinions. We ought to lay aside the small differences and pursue the common objective. Alright? So, go to, go to Deuteronomy chapter 9. Deuteronomy chapter 9. And let's define what we mean by self-righteousness. Okay? Deuteronomy 9, verses 3 through 6. Understand therefore this day that the Lord your God is He which goes over before you. Say, He goes before me. Every victory that you achieved, God went before you and got it for you. Or, He gave you the strength to get it. He gave you the tenacity to hold on to it. Amen? In some way, God went before you. Okay? Then he says, he went before them as a consuming fire. He shall destroy them, and he shall bring them down before your face. So you shall drive them out and destroy them. Notice, he goes before you, but you drive them out. 
Why do you have to drive them out? Because they're on your blessing. Did you know that someone is occupying your blessing? And you've got to drive them out? God's already given it to you, but you've got to be the one to drive them out. But he goes before you. Right? He makes it possible for you to achieve it. Okay? And so he'll destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said in verse 4. Speak not in your heart after that the Lord your God has cast them out from before you, saying, For my righteousness the Lord has brought me in to possess this land, but for the wickedness of these nations. It wasn't our righteousness, it was the wickedness of the people that God had to go in before so that you can go in and achieve the victory. See, he goes in before you, he does the heavy lifting, and we get the rewards, we get the benefits. Can you say amen? amen. Alright? Verse 5. Not for, for your righteousness, or for the uprightness of your heart. See, it's a dangerous thing. To take the credit of the victory from the Lord and, it, uh, uh, and assign it to you. Because then what happens? You become prideful. And pride comes before a what? A fall. Okay? Not for your righteousness or for the uprightness of your heart. Do, do you go to possess their land, but for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God does drive them out before you, that he may perform the word which the Lord swore unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Verse 6. Understand that the Lord your God gives you not this good land to possess it for your righteousness, for you're a stiff-necked people. I'm not a stiff-necked person. You just showed me that you are. So, self-righteousness is taking credit for what God has done. Now, God does need partnership. Right? Listen, God needs you to perform a miracle, but He gets all the credit. Right? You get to participate, but He gets the credit. You get to be involved, but He gets the glory. Alright? Self-righteousness is an offshoot of pride. Self-righteousness is a negative attitude of the heart expressed by the mouth. They started to, remember it said they, they felt in their heart, they said with their mouth. Okay? Self-righteousness puts self above God. Self-righteousness attempts to meet God's standards on its own merits. That's trying to work the law. Sometimes we get upset when God doesn't do what we want because I'm so good. God, I'm so good, I followed you. Would you hush? <laughs> you, you're, you're just demonstrating that you're not even having faith in God. You're having faith in, in whether or not your behavior was good. Come on. Proverbs 12, 15 let me just read it to you. It says, The way of the fool is right in his own eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. Self-righteousness is the way of the fool. 
Now I know that there's no one that reached out that wants to be a fool. Amen? So what are you going to make and not be a fool? Give up self. Do you know what people say in hell? There's a theme song in hell. I did it my way. They got there by doing it their way. They got there by rejecting the gift that God gave. And they thought that they could live their life apart from the gift of God. Guess what? You may live your life, but it's not going to end pretty. It's not going to end good. Amen? Proverbs 3, 7 says, Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Being wise in your own eyes is self-righteous and it's evil. Everybody say, it's evil. It's evil. When we start exalting self, it's evil. The magnification of self is evil. Why? Self can't save itself. We needed a Savior. We needed someone to come and rescue us. We were in a mess. We couldn't, we got into the mess, but we couldn't get out of the mess. And we needed a Savior, and He came. His name is Jesus. And when we put our trust in Him, we get all the benefits, all the rewards, all the good things. But then we've got to keep our trust in Him as we live our life. We're always going to be tempted to put self before God. It's, our, it's the natural nature of the flesh. Kids from... Who are young kids? They don't readily want to share their cookie. Do they? They say it's mine. Or they take something that they shouldn't take. Amen? And young, young kids do that. Why do they do that? Because that's the flesh. We're born, people are born with a, a sin nature, and that sin nature is only removed when you come to Christ. Amen? Is this helpful to anybody today? Yep. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Proverbs 20, verse 6. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? God is not impressed when one proclaims his own goodness, but he does favor faithfulness. Ever say faithfulness. What is faithfulness? You're being consistent over a period of time. You're doing the same thing. Amen. You're doing what God says each and every day. When you get up tomorrow, you, you commit to do what God says. When you get up the next day, you commit to do what God That's faithfulness. Notice it doesn't say faithless. It says faithful. You've got to be full of faith. Amen? Amen. What does faith know for? Faith is a doer. <clears throat> faith does the will of God. Faith does what God says. Amen? I love Proverbs 30, 20. This was pretty eye-opening. <laughs> Proverbs 30, 20. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wickedness. I mean, he just described her as an adulterous woman. I, now, this is the Bible, okay? And said, oh, I've done nothing. It's no different than King Saul. Saul, I want you to go kill the Amalekites. 1 Samuel 15, I think it is. 
Go and destroy them all. See, the Amalekites were wicked and evil. God gave them time to repent, but they did not. Now judgment came. Okay? And it was going to come through the hand of Saul, who was the king of Israel. And he was supposed to destroy them all, even the animals, not keep any alive. Right? And what did he do? He destroyed some of them. Right? But he kept the king alive. He kept the good sheep alive. He kept the good cows alive. Right? And when Samuel came, what was Saul's response? I did what the Lord told me to do. He now made himself the standard, and he was only partial obedience. He was misrepresenting what his assignment was. Why? Because now it's self-righteous. And then Samuel asked the most basic question. If you did what you're supposed to do, how come I hear these sheep? Bleeding. Bad, bad. You know what they were saying? You know what the sheep were saying? Salt. Bad, bad, bad. The sheep were telling on him. God gave him an instruction. He did not follow the instruction, but he claimed to follow the instruction. Self-righteous. He's not found in God, he's found in himself. Why did you do this? The people made me. Buddy, you're the king. King has the final, what the king says is law. You're the king. People can't tell the king what to do. The king tells the people what to do. But yet, he said, I did what God said. No, he didn't. Did you know that self-righteous people are liars? They lie about what about how they carried out God's command. That's what Saul did, didn't he? Okay. Go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. Don't worry, it's going to get better. Right now, I'm just taking out the trash. But pretty soon, we're going to bring the lights off. Alright? Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5. If you don't want to be judged, don't judge. Judge not that you be not judged. For with judgment you judge, you shall be judged. If you're going to judge someone, guess what? God's going to apply the same standards that you applied to that person. And with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why behold you the mote in your brother's eye, but consider not the beam that is in your own eye. This is self-righteousness at its peak. You're worried about the little speck that's in your brother's eye, and you've got this beam in your own eye. You know, you need to take care of that. Um, excuse me. But you may not know this, but there's something in your eye. Oh, there's nothing in my eye. But you're going to take care of that little thing. But you got this big thing in your life. You got this big, see, you're not being true to you. You want people to conform to your standard, but you don't want to follow the standard. That's what happens. We're seeing this today in our world. The world wants to pressure you one way. 
Not to see here, not to see here. Let's just get this over quickly. No, there's something to see here. Amen? you got a log in your own eye, you're talking to me about the speck. Alright? Or how will you say to your brother, verse 4, let me pull out the moat out of your own eye, and behold, the beam is in your own eye. You hypocrite! First cast out the beam out of your own eye, and then you shall see clearly to cast out the moat of your brother's eye. Are you practicing what you're telling the other one to do? Mic drop. <laughs> Go to Psalm 36. Psalm 36. Verses 1 to 4. Psalm 36. 1 to 4. This is interesting. The transgression of the wicked says within my heart that there is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes until his iniquity be found to be hateful. The words of his mouth are iniquity and deceit. He has left off to know to be wise and to do good. He devises mischief upon his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He abhors not evil. Alright, all self-righteousness. Okay? So, if we're not supposed to promote self-righteousness,
Christ like the Lord to show up and enjoy it. He's going to bring correction. When Elijah was having his pity party, okay, Elijah had just faced the prophets of Baal, right? And he defeated them. Oh, Elijah did good. Elijah, you did really good. Good good job, Elijah. Good job, Elijah. And what did he get for defeating the prophets of Baal? He got a threat from Jezebel by the postal worker. The, the guy gave him Elijah a letter, right? And in that letter, Jezebel said, I'm going to kill you. So what did Elijah do? He ran. Why? Because now he's trusting. He trusted in God to defeat the prophets of Baal, but in his running away from God, he was trusting in himself. And he's sitting in the cave. He's having a pity party. Me, myself, and I. There's no one but me. No one but me. I'm the only one. I'm so great. I'm so wonderful. And God says, Elijah, Yes, Lord. Did you know that there's 7,000 that did not bother me to bail? Oh, I did not know that. You know, God has a way of, of putting perspective, putting things into perspective. Here Elijah's whining and complaining that he's all alone, and yet there are 7,000 that hadn't bowed their knee. Guess what? You are not alone. Say, I'm not alone. Okay? Go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. I'm telling you, in the battle between God's righteousness versus self-righteousness, God's righteousness wins all the time. Romans 1.17. Aren't you glad to learn the word? How is this going to help your life, Pastor? It's going to help you live successfully. It's going to help you live according to God. You know, when you live according to God, you're blessed. And you know, when you're blessed, your enemies can't defeat you. When you're blessed, uh, stuff comes to you. When you're blessed, favor opens doors for you. When you're blessed, good things happen to you that you didn't even expect. Amen? Romans 1.17 For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just Everybody say the just. the just. How does God want the just to live? By faith. By faith. Does He ever want them to stop living by faith? No. Can you schedule faith vacations where you take a vacation from faith? No. No. Right? Did you know that when you live by faith, it'll help you override your feelings? It'll help you override emotions? It'll, it'll help you override things that, that come up in the world when you're living by faith? Right? Notice the righteousness is revealed from faith, from the author of faith to your faith. He gives, it comes from his faith, and he gives you that faith to believe in it, but righteousness comes by faith. Faith to faith. Hallelujah. You have to live the rest of your life by what started your journey. If Christ started your new life, you've got to continue to live your new life in Christ. You can't live it apart from Him. You can't start saying, okay God, 
I just don't like that giving business, so I'm going to do what I want to do. Can't do that. Why? Then you're going against His Word. See? God, did you know that New Testaments have laws? Well, I thought the law was in the Old Testament. How about the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus? That's Romans 8. How about the law of love? That's New Testament. Amen? There are, there are laws in the New Testament that we have to live by. The law of love and the law of the Spirit of life. Not the Spirit of death. When you're self-righteous, you're living by death. You're letting death dictate what you should do and where you should go. And how you should do it. I was watching something on the television last night and a commercial came up and I didn't know what it was, but I remember the statement. Someone said something, well, you can't do that. And the guy said, don't tell me what I can or can't do. Amen? The world may tell you can, but don't, you, you tell the world you can't tell me what I can or can't do. Why? I, I take my instructions from God. Amen. Amen? Amen? You can do what God tells you to do. And you shouldn't do what God says you shouldn't do. But in, in other words, it's God leading you, not other things. Amen? Abraham, according to Romans 4.3, the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was accounted or credited to him for righteousness. How did he become righteous? He believed God. He believed that God would send His Son and that His Son would bless the world and His Son would give His life just like He gave Isaac's life. Isaac for Jesus. Jesus for Isaac. Amen. Abraham understood this. And it was a credit. Before he even had Isaac, he believed God and it was a credit unto him. He, God, he believed what God said and he became righteous. He didn't do anything to become righteous. He did not become righteous because he built seven altars. I don't even know how many altars he built, but I'm just throwing out that term. He did not become righteous because he left his house. He, left, he became righteous because he believed God. Everybody say, he believed God. He believed God. If Abraham can believe God, you can believe God. And if you can believe God, you get the same results. When the moment you believe God, it was a, righteousness was deposited into your account. An unlimited supply of righteousness was put in your account, and you can access it anywhere in the world. All you need to know is the password, J-E-S-U-S. To be accredited means to be deposited. It's a benefit to you. It's an increase to you. You know, we live so short of God's righteousness. God blesses righteousness. There's power in righteousness. What does it mean? It means to be right with God. What did it cost God for us to become righteous? It cost Him His Son. Who took... He took the sin, not just of one person, but of the world. The entire world. Can you imagine taking the entire world's trash on you? Taking the entire world's junk on you. All the disobedience. All the contrary to God. All the breaking of God's laws. You're taking it on you. 
That's what Jesus did. That's what it cost God to make us righteous. It cost Him everything. And He was willing to pay it because He knew that we couldn't pay it. We had a debt we couldn't pay. He didn't owe anything, but He paid our debt. Can you say amen? This is the power of righteousness. We've got to value what God did for us. And how do we value it? We live for God. We walk with God each and every day. Even when we make a mistake, we pick ourselves up and we get right with God. We confess our sins. And He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's how we value righteousness. We don't just throw it aside. We actually start to live by it. Amen? Because what's the alternative? Self-righteous. You're either self-righteous or you're God-righteous. There's no middle ground. There's no gray area. Well, I'm, a, I'm in between self and God. And you need to let go of self. Jesus said, it, if you want to come after me, you've got to what? Deny your self. And pick up your cross and follow after me. When Jesus came to Peter and used his boat, did he say, Peter, you need to leave the fishing business? Did he tell him that? No. He just showed him love. He showed him kindness. He gave him grace. And Peter wanted to follow him. It wasn't a hard decision for Peter to, to stop one part of his life and to enter a new part of his life. God just offered him love, the perfect love of God. He offered him forgiveness. He offered him uh, something better. He didn't say, Peter, you've got to do this. But Peter, out of his love for God, he walked away from his business. And he followed Jesus for three and a half years intently. He was one of his closest followers. He got to go where none of the other apostles got to go. But he did that because he loved God. He loved what he was offering so much. See, when we love God so much with our hearts, we, we have no problem giving Him our lives. We have no problem laying down our plans. We have no problem giving Him our dreams. Why? Because he, he may have given you the dream in the first place, but when you connect with Him, then He can really bring it to pass together. See, that's the thing. You're either going to work for yourself or work for God. Which would you rather do? Work for God, amen? Some people, according to Romans 10, verses 2 to 13, it says that he was talking about the Jews, and they were ignorant of God's righteousness because they sought to establish their own righteousness. See, this is the problem that happens. Someone might be walking with God, and everything's going good, and you're doing what God says, but then you start to establish your own standards of what you think walking with God is, apart from the Bible, apart from God's advice, apart from God's counsel. And now you've set up a whole different system that's based on your own merits, your own standards, and it's different from God's standards. And you're, you're, you're determining whether you succeed or not based on these standards and not God's standards. 
And yet we want, black, we want God to bless our standards. It doesn't work that way. Amen? It's like, have you ever heard of a country establishing a shadow government? You know, they're setting up things behind the scenes. You don't see them, but they're wreaking havoc. Yeah, yeah. We are now. <laughs> no pun intended. Well, maybe a little bit. You know why they call it shadow? Because it works in darkness and operates in deceit. See, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The minute you put your faith in Christ, you are righteous. You are right with God. See, when we're ignorant of God's ways, we'll establish our own ways. And you know what religion is? Religion is man's attempt to get to God. We have all kinds of religion in this world. I mean, some worship multiple gods, some worship other things, and oh my goodness, why? They all set up their own way to get to God. But there's only one way, to ever said there's only one way to get to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. You've got to meet Him, He needs to become Lord of your life, and you need to live for Him. You can't do the not living part. If you've accepted Christ, you've got to live for Him. You've got to do the way things the way He wants them done. Amen? See, righteousness can only come through faith. It comes through believing who Jesus is and what He said. You have it the moment you believe. The righteousness by faith removes guilt, shame, and condemnation. Oh, can you say amen? Do you realize the moment you accept Jesus Christ, if you were to stand before, before, before a judge, he would say, case dismissed, you're acquitted of all charges. That's what it means to be righteous. That means the prosecuting attorney rests. They have no other evidence against you. You've been acquitted. You've been pardoned. You can walk out free. Amen? They can't bring charges against you. And he can't come against you for double jeopardy. Hallelujah. Alright, go to Romans 9. Romans 9. I'm just about at the finish line. Are you okay? Romans 9, verse 30. What shall we say then that the Gentiles which follow not after righteousness have attained to righteousness even the righteousness which is of faith? Isn't that awesome? They didn't seek it. They weren't following all. They just found Christ and became righteous. Amen? But look at 31. But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. All the ones who follow the law are unsuccessful in following the law. Okay? Verse 32, Wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, 
They took faith out of the equation and they replaced their own merit with faith. Or they replaced faith with their own merit, I should say. They stopped living by faith and they started living by their own merit, by what law they could follow. What, that's why the Pharisees, I'm going to say it this way, were so anal. <laughs> I mean, they got so upset that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. Oh, you can't work on the Sabbath. God, it's not work, it's faith. <laughs> he wasn't, I mean, he was working, but it was his faith. They could care less about the, the, the person who got healed. They had no compassion. They didn't say, oh, the person got healed. No, you did this on the Sabbath. How dare you do it on the Sabbath? You see how crazy that is? This is what he's talking about. They didn't seek it by faith, but as it were, the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whosoever believes on him shall not be ashamed. Oh, amen. When you put your faith in God, shame was removed from your being. There is no shame. Even Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know there was a time when he was? He tried to stop the gospel. He tried to persecute. He, he thought that he, by persecuting the people who believed the gospel, he could stop the gospel. And he realized he can't stop the gospel. Amen? So, guess what? If you can't stop the gospel, you might as well join the gospel. You might as well believe the gospel. And then that's what Paul did. Paul had an encounter with the gospel, Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus showed up to give him good news personally. It changed his life forever. Can you say Amen. Then, the final thing, you got to be found in Him. You can't have your own righteousness. You have to have righteousness of God by faith. And number four, this is based on Philippians 3, 9, and 10, you got to know Him. And there's two things you got to know. you got to know the power of His resurrection, and you got to know the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. You know, God wants you to know the power of His resurrection. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Alright? Ephesians chapter 1. Did you know that you can become intimately acquainted with the power of the resurrection? Who could use a resurrection today? How about a resurrection in your body? How about a resurrection in your joints? How about a resurrection in your kidneys? Or your liver? Or your heart? Or your mind? How about a resurrection in your finances? Amen? How about a resurrection in your relationships? How about a resurrection? God wants us to know the resurrection. What does that mean? To have knowledge of it? No. To have knowledge of it and to experience it. The, the Bible word know means you know it intimately. It's like a husband knowing his wife. That's the kind of knowing that he wants us. That's what he's talking about. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. Are you ready to shout? Shouting is allowed, really. It literally is. And now he's praying for the church. Say, he's praying for me. I'm the church. So this prayer is for you. It's not just for them, but it's for you today. 
And what is... Okay, back up to verse 17. <laughs> so he's praying, right, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, where? In the knowledge of who? So if you can know him, you can be found in him, right? So it's about knowing him. When you know Him, this is what He wants you to know about Him. That the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, God's Word is light, every time you hear the Word, light's coming to you. That you may know. Say that, say that, that I may know. Say that I may know. Say God wants me to know. He lists three things that He wants us to know. The hope of His calling. He wants you to know what He expects of what He called you to do. Okay? And he wants you to know the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And thank God that God put a pastor here to help you discover his inheritance. And number three, this is something else he wants you to know. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us learn who believe? He wants you to know the exceeding greatness of his power. He wants you to experience it. He wants you to feel it. He wants you to live in it. He wants you to walk in it. He wants you to benefit from it. Oh my goodness. That we, to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and sat him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, Follow from all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Hallelujah. Which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. God wants you to know your calling. He wants you to know his glory. And he wants you to know his resurrection. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Hallelujah. We've got to walk in resurrection experience. We've got to walk as resurrected people. Amen. When, when Christ was resurrected from the dead, he did not talk about the cross. He did not talk about his previous pain. He did not talk about, he talked about uh, the power that was available to us. And they went and preached about the resurrection. They went and preached that Jesus was risen from the dead. Amen. And through the preaching of the resurrection, people were healed. People were delivered. People were set free. Demons were cast out. And we can know the same power. If, if, if Christ experienced it, we can know it because we know Christ. And we're found in Him. And we don't have our own righteousness. We have a righteousness that comes to us by, from God by faith. And we can know Him. Amen. God wants you to know Him. He wants you to know Him so close. He wants to be your best friend. Because when you know Him like that, it's no problem living for Him the rest of your life. Amen. How many of you that are married found some things out about your spouse 
that you didn't know when you got married. Amen? Why? It's a progressive relationship. And it takes commitment to find the treasures that you didn't know were there. And as you are committed to that relationship, and as you communicate in that relationship, and as you fellowship in that relationship, and as you share things in that relationship, you discover more things that you didn't know. Can I get a witness? Amen. Amen. It's the same thing is true with God. When you walk with God, you're going to find things that you didn't know about God when you accepted Him as Savior. You're going to discover truths about God you didn't know. You're going to discover things about God that you didn't know. You're like, oh my gosh, we can get a revelation. I mean, my awesome wife, when she gets a revelation, she goes, oh my gosh, did you hear what God said? I mean, I love it. Hallelujah. And thank God that I've grown to be able to receive that. It's taken me some time. It's taken me some time. But you know what? This morning, we're going to destroy the altar of self-righteousness. And we are going to build an altar of righteousness by faith in God. And we're going to be committed to walk with Him for the rest of our lives. This is not a once and done thing. This is a lifetime journey, so you better be geared for it. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Mm -hmm. Right? It's like eating an elephant. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. It may take you a few days, but eventually you'll you'll clean that elephant up. Right? Give me another elephant burger, give me some elephant ribs, amen? I'll come back tomorrow for leftovers. Right? You just keep at it. You keep at it. You keep at it. You keep at it. You get up tomorrow. You keep at it. You get up next week. You keep at it. You get up next month. You keep at it. You keep following God. You keep serving God. You keep making yourself available to Him. You keep praying. You keep worshiping. You keep giving. You keep reading. You keep studying. This is how you do it. This is what we got to do as believers in Christ Jesus. He did not save us. Matter of fact, when you get to heaven, you're not going to be sitting on a cloud playing a harp. You might. (laughs) But is that why God saved us? So that we can float on the clouds. God is so good. God is so great. Strumming my harp. No. Number one, You're not in heaven yet. Right? None of us are in heaven yet. But we can have heaven on earth. Number one, you've got to fulfill your God-given purpose. God put you here on purpose for a purpose. He has an assignment for you. I'm too old. No, you're not. I'm too young. No, you're not. You're not too old. You're not too young. Age has nothing to do with it. Faith has everything to do with it. Do you realize Moses didn't get started in his ministry until he was 80? Started. He, he, do you know he faced death as a baby? Yeah. Pharaoh wanted to abort all the baby boys two years and younger. But the favor that God gave Moses 
when he looked into his mama's eyes, and she said, oh, that's a sweet boy. She hid that boy in an ark. She hid him in the Word. And that ark floated down an alligator-infested river, a crocodile-infested river. And it got to the king's daughter. You think that was happenstance or chance? No, that was the hand of God. That it took faith. I'm telling you, it, mama, it takes faith to put your baby in an ark and float it down the river. Amen? But she did it. Why? She had faith in God. And this is the best part. She got paid to nurse her son. Oh, can you say amen? She got paid to nurse her son. How is that the blessing of God? And you know, he was trained to be a pharaoh for 40 years. But there was something inside of him that said he wasn't supposed to be a pharaoh. He was supposed to be a deliverer. And that delivering thing, it would spring up when he would see someone oppressed. He didn't know how to handle it, so he went with his feelings. And he killed the person who was doing the oppression. See, God didn't want him to deliver through killing. He wanted him to deliver through the miracles of God. And then, when he, when he saw another conflict, they said, oh, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? <laughs> he didn't realize he was on Egyptians most wanted. So then, what did he do after he left Egypt? He led sheep. Where? On the back side of the desert. How long? Forty years. Ever say forty years? Forty years. Don't let it take forty years. God had to root self out of him for forty years. God can do a quick work. But what after forty years he was eighty? That's when he encountered God at a burning bush. The bush was on fire, but it wasn't good. Listen, God, God knows where you are on the backside of the desert. And he can get in touch with you. Okay, Moses, now you're ready. I want you to go deliver my people. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. <laughs> I don't know who you are. I can't speak. I'm incapable. I can't do it. I can't, I can't, I can't. God answered that. God gave him a swift kick in the pants. <laughs> you say can't long enough, God will give you a swift kick. To... Read the Bible. God was getting angry at his excuses. Why? He couldn't do what God said. If Moses can do what God said, you can do what God told you. He's not asking you to be Moses. He's asking you to be you. There's only one you. Say, there's one me, and no one else is like me, and God chose me. God called me. God loves me. Amen. So now we got to live for God. The whole point, if you don't get anything else out of it today, you got to live. It's time that we start living for God. Stop living for the world. Stop living for someone else. Stop living for whatever you're living. Stop living for God. I mean, you know when someone's living for God. 
Right? Because other things start to fall by the wayside. Amen? Other things, God things become more important. Let me pray for those who are watching. If you're watching today and you heard this message, God's got a hope and a future for you. He's got plans to prosper you. Father, I pray for those watching here today, Lord, that they would hear the voice of God and that they would tear down the altar of self-righteousness and that they would surrender and yield to God, giving their whole heart, giving you their full attention in the name of Jesus. And Lord, I I pray that you would open their hearts and help them to receive the incorruptible word. And Lord, that they will put their feet on a firm path. The path that you put them on according to for your name's sake. Lord, may they walk in your path. May they do your will without flinching, without hesitation, without regrets. May they be doers of your word. May they build on that firm foundation, which is Jesus Christ, because no other foundation will last. I pray for them now, Father. I pray that they will receive the mercy and the grace that they need. Meet them there at this moment, Lord, and bring them up in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, for those of you that are here, you know where you are. And the Holy Ghost knows where you are. I don't know where you are, but God knows. And if you know that you have some area in your life that you have exercised self-righteousness, I want you to stand right now so that you can get free of it in the name of Jesus. I'm asking you to be bold. I'm asking you to be courageous. I'm not going to ask you what it is. I always going to know what it is. But God's going to see people who are hungry for Him, who are ready and open to receive His fullness of grace and glory. If you have ever yielded to giving in to the temptation of putting self first, this is a moment of decision this morning. People are going to make a decision that they're going to put out the old and they're going to embrace it. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, you see, Father, these who are standing.
know how much you love them, Lord. You love them with an everlasting love. Oh, you're cheering for them. You're pulling for them. You're leading God and directing them. In the name of Jesus. I want you to say this with me. Say, today is a new beginning. I'm going on with God. I'm going to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Father, I'm available to you whenever you need me, whenever you want me, whatever you have for me. Amen.